We're going now into a, into a session on embedded values um, and embedded values in a SAM world. Now, South African actuaries, in my opinion, are generally highly innovative and have uh, in the past probably contributed some major developments in the insurance world. So the Life Assurance Committee decided to be innovative in a seminar by splitting a session into two parts, deliberately over lunchtime, so that you can all be good actuaries and think about the input that we receive from these two presenters now, discuss it over lunch, and then come back with good questions and discussions to have after lunch. So conversations about rugby, other sports, weather, or things like that are forbidden at lunchtime. You have to talk about embedded values so that we can have a good discussion after lunch. The format of the session is to have Gert van der Beer, who is the, uh, the head of the, uh, the chairman of the Life Assurance Committee. Gert is, uh, heads up the group risk and actuarial function in Sunlam, has been responsible for the Sunlam SAM implementation over the last couple of years, has been a member of the Embedded Value Committee for more than 10 years and chair since 2006. And Gert is an actuary and a seerer. Um, and then we will also have David Kirk uh, talking about uh, a second view of embedded value under the SAM world. David is a Milliman principal and practice leader for Milliman Africa. He specializes in risk and capital management, financial reporting, and M&A work for life insurers and short-term insurers. He's been a member of the Embedded Value Committee, committee for most of his career, and looks forward to someday being able to give a presentation without using the words contract boundaries. So without further ado, I'm going to pass over to Gert and David to do the presentations, which will form the basis of a discussion after lunch when we will have uh, Maria Stratum, who will give a view from an uh, analyst's point of view, because uh, after all, um, Embedded values, uh, they, the analyst community is obviously clearly one of the big users of embedded values, and uh, so their view on matters is very important. So, Gert, without that, over to you. Just um, before I start, um, uh, I just want to make one correction. I'm not the chair of the Life Assurance Committee. Um, uh, I'm only chair of the Embedded Value Committee. Um, Okay, so um, my name is Gert van den Berg. Uh, thanks for the introduction, uh, Peter. Um, I've been uh, thinking back, I mean, involved with embedded value reporting for longer than I can remember. Um, and and uh, we, I've been through sort of, I think, five or six versions of the, the, the APN 107 or previously PGN 107 guidance and the development thereof. Um, so today's, um, today's session, um, we, we, okay, okay, um, so, um, uh, we'll have the three presenters today, myself and, uh, David, and then Morris will join us after lunch. Um, the, uh, purpose of today's session, um, is, is to, to um, generate some discussion around the work being done and interest in the work that the PG, uh, EV subcommittee is currently doing um, uh, to highlight some of the key developments and uh, issues that, that uh, have 
come to the fore uh, during the last, say, uh, year or so. Um, then also share some, uh, share two views that have emerged, two broad views um, that, that have emerged uh, during our discussions, um, uh, and then create awareness around uh, where, you know, the upcoming changes, the potential um, changes to EV reporting and the guidance uh, that we're looking at, um, uh, given the implementation of the, the move to SAM from uh, next year. And um, stimulate further discussion, because like, I do think the, the, these debates are actually uh, much more fundamental to our profession uh, than just uh, around embedded value reporting. And uh, I think especially for, for this um, uh, group of people here, uh, working in, on, on, in the life insurance industry, or actuaries uh, working in life insurance, um, these are quite um, important uh, debates, that's, um, and, and, and I'll, I'll get to that a bit later. Um, so we've got three parts, um, like Peter said. Um, I'll do just a brief introduction on, the, uh, um, on, on embedded values, just to set the scene. I'm going to um, um, really just look at um, uh, the de development of guidance, EV guidance, um, key types of embedded value, um, and then uh, explain some of the differences between the various uh, standards that, uh, we, that are out there today, and also the types of embedded values that are being reported publicly. Um, sorry. Um, then, then we'll share uh, the two views, and uh, the good news is uh, we've left all the juicy technical bits and, uh, to, for David, so um, that's just to keep everyone here uh, before lunch. Um, and then uh, do you have that fresh uh, in, your, um, in your minds when uh, you're discussing that instead of the rugby. Um, then after lunch, um, uh, an analyst view and then some, some discussion, hopefully. Um, so, I want to start off by, <laughs> and, and Nigel also did it, as a poll um, by, uh, by show of hands uh, of the, the of the audience, so, uh, but I, I promise you will only raise your hand once. So, by show of hands, and I, I expect to see all the hands up, have you heard of embedded values? Okay, let's start there. Okay, see, hold your hands up, keep them up. <laughs> all right, then um, the second question is, and put your hands down if you, you haven't, uh, have you worked on embedded values? If you work, keep your hand up, please. Okay, next. Uh, for what purpose uh, did you do the embedded value work? Was it for public reporting? Um, or was it for, for business planning, pricing, M&A, um, transactions? Um, if, it was, uh, if you haven't uh, um, worked on public reporting, please put your hand down. And then uh, the focus of today's session will really be on embedded, value, embedded values for purposes of public reporting. Um, and then for those uh, that have worked on the embedded value reporting, uh, you know if you uh, was it on, on traditional embedded values, European embedded values, or market consistent embedded values. If you don't know, 
the difference. I'll get to that in a moment. Um, um, if you worked on uh, TV, put your hand down. And then finally, for those who worked on EEV and MCEV, um, did you use APN 107? And then, if not, why? <laughs> um, I think the, 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 what I'd like to, to um, uh, cover next is, is just a, a little bit of background, some of the history around the development uh, of embedded value guidance. Um, so we started seeing uh, companies uh, reporting embedded values uh, during uh, starting sort of 80s and 90s uh, in South Africa. Uh, and the first guidance really came out, I think, around 2000. Um, it wasn't really on um, embedded values. It was uh, the uh, ABI in, in the UK that came out with the achieved profits method. But uh, the actual society was quite um, um, ahead of the curve, and the Life Assurance Committee uh, published a, the first EV guidance in 2001 already. Um, um, that was followed by a few updates, um, and, and really um, the, um, a, a pivotal um, uh, step, a great step forward in terms of embedded value reporting and the consistency of embedded value reporting and the usability of embedded value reporting um, because it was more comparable was the, the um, release of the European embedded value principles by the um, CFO forum, which is a, a large body, well, a, a body of um, the largest European insurance groups, around 20, 20 <coughs> member groups, um, and they see CFOs. So it was the, the first time that a non-actuarial, you know, actuarial, non-technical body um, really came up, uh, uh, came up with a, a standard um, that um, 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 they could report on, and and that was a, that was actually um, I think I would I would I would say embedded value reporting uh, can be can be um, uh, the history of embedded value reporting can be broken up into two phase, phases, um, uh, pre and pro, uh, post EEV reporting. What did EEV reporting do? Or why, what, uh, what changes did um, the European embedded value uh, uh, principles introduce? Well, first of all, it, um, it established the concept of covered business, so uh, separate, separating out the life insurance business and the value, share of value in the life insurance business from the other, other operations uh, within the company or within a group. Um, it also introduced the EVM or EV methodology, so defining a methodology for the, the covered business. So it's the covered business methodology. Then, um, uh, and lastly, the, the, group in, the concept of group embedded value. Before that, uh, embedded values were really reported on a legal entity basis, uh, although some, some companies have, uh, did start to um, do that on own so, sort of um, uh, um, um, uh, consolidation, uh, uh, consolidated reporting as well. The other thing, uh, the next thing that um, the principles actually established was um, a, and a, a specific allowance for time value of options and guarantees. Now that was a specific 
uh, issue in Europe. Again, in South Africa, we had started working on uh, PGN 110, um, and uh, again, the Life Assurance Committee was probably ahead of the curve uh, on that one. Uh, so less of an issue in South Africa, but, uh, it, it, but it introduced that, and so international comparability of embedded value results improved. Um, the, the next thing um, it did was uh, um, it, 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 it um, and I really need to get glasses. <laughs> um, my, uh, it, it introduced um, um, uh, the allowance for all risks uh, in the embedded value. So previously, some of the risks weren't covered, uh, and that include, included allowance for all, uh, um, the, all the capital requirements, so all the internal and external um, um, capital needs to actually manage the, the insurance book, the life insurance book. Um, and it also then uh, established a standard or minimum disclosures uh, to, to really uh, drive the comparability of results. Following uh, the um, introduction of EEV, and if you, if you go, uh, look at the reported embedded values in South Africa and internationally, it has grown um, since 2005 um, from uh, less than uh, half a trillion dollars to more than a trillion dollars in total um, and that's from a survey of about 100 companies in, in UK and Europe. In South Africa, the embedded values, uh, total embedded values reported at the end of 2014 was 277 billion rand. Um, if you uh, look at the value of new business, that was around, in total around 6 billion. Um, and, and the present value of future profits, uh, future premiums was uh, around um, uh, 200, 206 billion rand. So um, South Africa actually makes up a, a fairly small uh, proportion of the total embedded value reporting, um, embedded value reporting uh, internationally. Um, and what I'm trying to say with that is, is, is that embedded values, embedded value as a concept is, is well understood, obviously, uh, people are using it, people, uh, companies are reporting on, on embedded values. Uh, they, uh, it's, it's seen as an uh, um, uh, effective indicator of shareholder value creation, an uh, effective way of uh, communicating your, um, the, the performance of the company, and specifically uh, the performance of management or the performance of those aspects that are on the, under management's control. Um, uh, during a, uh, for, for the reporting period um, um, and, and to the market in, in the context of your own business model, the, uh, your own segmentation, your own um, um, uh, business definitions, business unit definitions, uh, product category, categorizations and so on and so forth. Um, so getting to, to uh, just Getting back to APN 107 or the uh, embedded value uh, reporting actual practice note um, that uh, um, the EV subcommittee actually um, 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 is responsible for. Um, it's uh, as, as a subcommittee of the LAC. Um, the, 
its purpose um, is, is to provide uh, advice of, or, uh, guidance to actuaries. So that's a, that, that's a very important point um, that I want to emphasize, is the guidance is actually for actuaries. Uh, but it's also, it's also intended to encourage comparability and consistency of reporting uh, of locally, of, of insurance, long-term insurance, and, and the parent companies. Um, it, it also, um, it's also intended to, to, to um, uh, align with the European embedded value principles, in, in other words, um, as, as I've mentioned in the previous slide, I've shown in the previous slide, uh, European embedded values really became the de facto international standard um, uh, during the last, uh, after its publication in 2005, end of 2004, um, and, and um, the LAC wanted to, uh, the guidance to be aligned with that. So um, in 2007, uh, there was a major overhaul of the uh, the guidance note uh, to align with the EEV principles, um, uh, and it's still aligned with uh, the EEV principles today. Um, then, just just looking at, at the differences between um, the, the APN 107, the local guidance, and the EEV principles, um, I just want to, to um, really look at one or two of the the biggest differences in in the so, so the purpose of the embedded value reporting is, is like I said, is, is to provide, uh, well, APN 107 advice for actuaries, whereas the EEV principles uh, are copyright of the um, uh, CFO forum. Uh, it was specifically written um, with the large insurance groups, uh, large insurance groups in mind, although it, the, the intention was also to, yeah, to establish an, an internationally usable standard. Um, if, you, if you look at, at um, um, MCEV, which was uh, um, the MCEV principles were, were um, subsequent to the, uh, published in uh, 2008, uh, and, and the, the CFO forum actually um, allowed under the EV principles uh, market consistent value um, calculations. So EEV principles uh, do allow market consistent embedded value calculations, uh, but it, it does not specifically require market consistent calculations to be used. Um, the, the, another important point to note is that um, the, the European embedded value, the principles, the CFO principles and guidance are uh, and they, uh, the CFO forum is very specific about this, uh, is, is not allowed to be used in part, uh, but only, uh, but has to, has to be um, um, presented um, in, in its full for format um, uh, when used by other, other organizations. So you've seen that um, re just recently, last month, the um, uh, um, Actual Society of India um, uh, published a guidance note on embedded value reporting for IPOs, for example. Um, the, in the next slide, I'd like to just um, 
the gate, um, highlight some of the difference between EEV and MCEV. Uh, firstly, that you'll see, you'll see that from the table that it, it has the same basic definition. That is, um, the EV is the present value of the interest of um, the shareholders' interest in earnings, future earnings, distributable from the assets allocated to the covered business. Um, and it must allow for sufficient, um, efficiently for all the risks that, the um, uh, risks of the shareholders. So the EV consists of um, uh, a free surplus, um, then the required capital, less a, co a cost of holding that capital, uh, and the present value future sale, the cash flows from the Enforce uh, covered business. Um, but the, the first big difference, significant difference between EEV and MCEV uh, comes in the definition of the, the WIF, um, whereas the WIF under EEV is defined as um, uh, basically as the present value future profits, less uh, the allowance of time value of options guarantees um, and, and cost of capital. Um, under MCEV principles, or the, um, the, the WIF is defined as a, again, as the present value of future profits, less the time value of options and guarantees, but then um, uh, the cost of capital is, is, is split up, or there's two additional items, uh, the cost of non-agile risk and the um, like a frictional cost of capital. Now, what, what the CFO forum did uh, with the, um, with the um, MCEV principles is basically they uh, attempted to split the ageable and the allowance for ageable risk and non-ageable risk. Um, that was very much in line with the, um, at the time, the development around uh, of, of Solvency II um, and, and um, um, so therefore, the, the, the embedded value reporting also um, uh, um, uh, aligned with uh, the, the current thinking around so, and development around solvency T. Then, uh, in both cases, um, um, so, so EEV allows for all the risks. Uh, the only difference with MCEV is it's, it actually uh, distinguishes between eligible and non-eligible risks. Um, if, if, if you look at market consistency of the calculations, so EV allows market consistency cal calculations to be used, but also real-world uh, calcula um, uh, uh, calculations to be used. Um, and those are the, the, the key differences between MCEV and EEV, uh, except for one additional item um, that I'd like to cover in the... Oops. Next slide. Sorry about that. You can see I don't do a lot of these. Uh, there we go. All right. So, um, oops. David, you'll have to help me again. It's a big cool thing. Um, is MCEVs, there are two, actually two calculation methodologies for, um, to, to um, calculate the MCEV. Um, the one is, uh, the first one is the discounted value of uh, future shareholder earnings. 
but there's also alternative calculation, uh, which is based on market consistent embedded value. Um, the, the first approach, or the discount earnings approach, is aligned with uh, the CFO4 principles, or MCV principles, basically. Although um, they specifically allow the calculation of, of, of um, um, MCEV on a balance sheet, we're using a, a market consistent balance sheet approach, um, uh, uh, provided that um, all the disclosures and analysis of changes provided you know, consistent with the way that an analysis of uh, EV earnings would work for a discounted uh, uh, profit uh, approach. And I, I, I highlight this because I, I think if you, you'll see in the next uh, two presentations or the two views presented today that this is actually one of the a fundamental difference between the, the two views that, that, uh, that have emerged um, in our discussions. The one is a, a discounted profits uh, approach, and the other is a market assisted embedded value approach. Um, oh, I've covered that. So uh, that was really all I wanted to, um, to cover in this, this first section. Um, so the, the, next, um, the next session, I don't know if we, should I just go on? <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, just I'm going to present the first view. David's going to present the uh, second view. Um, just a bit of background. So, um, with with the uh, with Sam being implemented from the first of January next year, um, uh, the current uh, in the the and, and statutory valuation method being used as sort of uh, as the the way to project forward uh, project. Um, uh, future uh, earnings uh, used for to discount in the, the embedded value, um, and specific mention of the SVM uh, locally. We we have to update the the PGN PGN 107 APN 107 um, uh, for for the implementation of SAM. So LAC um, actually asked us uh, the EV subcommittee to draft a new version of APN 107 around a year ago. Uh, initially, the idea was uh, when we, we, we saw the divergent ideas uh, bubbling up, we, the, the initial plan was to actually, and we did draft a, 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 a high-level guidance note that was uh, worded to allow almost any kind of approach. Uh, so um, clearly, with the same implementations, companies were looking at SAM as an, uh, um, from different angles and uh, um, also um, the way that it would impact their business uh, affected the, the target operating models that they developed uh, for a same world and, and therefore also the capital management, uh, things like capital management reporting, uh, the, the reporting uh, solutions that they, that they, develop, uh, they were developing. And, and this it actually drove much of the the um, uh, discussion and debate uh, around the two views, um, the, how our, people, our companies and, and members on the uh, subcommittee actually looked at SAM and, and the implementation of SAM and how it would impact their business. So um, we took uh, that, the sort of vaguely worded or uh, um, uh, version of APN 107 to LAC um, at the end of last year, 
uh, and lack um, basically I felt that, that that would leave too much scope uh, for inconsistent um, application of, of the guidance and also then reduce the uh, comparability of the results locally. So they sent us back to the drawing board and uh, since then we've been, um, we've actually established two working groups to look at the, the two different options. Okay, view one. Okay, the, um, it's the basic philosophy uh, that view that, uh, one's based on is that um, EV uh, is generally well understood and used worldwide. Um, EV, um, um, as a reporting framework within um, EVs, uh, uh, as a reporting framework which is audited, actually support, supports share prices. Um, uh, it's best used together with other uh, indicators or financial reporting uh, indicators, um, and it. Um, that it actually, um, the, the fact that um, um, uh, it, it, it's actually reconciled to the primary financial statements and, uh, and uh, statutory valuation method uh, means it gives the additional credibility of the reporting. So, um, basically, the first view is based on, on three key proposals and, and a few others. Um, the first key proposal is to use adjusted IFRS, the adjusted IFRS basis um, as um, the, the basis to determine future profits. Um, in, in other words, we're basically suggesting, well, that we keep the EEV approach. Uh, we, um, the backing liability measure is adjusted IFRS basis. The adjustments would be for the, uh, to write down intangibles, uh, that uh, intangible assets on the balance sheet that would be funded by future profits. Um, questions around how to allow uh, the challenges to uh, run to how to allow for negative round reserves or negative reserves. Um, and uh, there are also the other adjustments that um, uh, uh, would be, have to be made would be for uh, intangible assets uh, acquired, intangible assets like uh, value of business acquired. Um, other adjustments could be for BE transactions uh, and share incentive schemes. Um, but by and large, the, the guidance note would be uh, stayed uh, very much the same as, as it is today. Um, then the second proposal is that uh, the total shareholder cash flow uh, um, from, uh, uh, for each future period should be fungible. Now, this is a little bit more, more complex, but it's actually not. Um, all that this says is... Um, Projected distributable earnings uh, must be available uh, to distribute as cash, and it should be at least uh, considered uh, in the projected assets uh, um, versus the, the funding required by the liabilities, by the required capital, uh, and also uh, to back the, the, the covered business, uh, net of the, the, the earnings and new business strength. So it's a, a minimum requirement to ensure that the release of profit between companies, uh, regardless of the approach used or the liability definition, or the, regardless of the, the options or choices made uh, in terms of IFRS that would impact on the liabilities 
uh, it would ensure consistency in terms of the timing of the projected profits. Um, then the third key, key proposal um, is that uh, we, we retain the current real-world approach. The reason for this is basically um, that it's aligned with um, what we're currently doing, what uh, analysts understand, what management understands. Um, it's aligned with uh, business planning, budgeting, um, pricing, um, and, and um, it, it um, is, is easily, uh, it's intuitive and it uh, can be easily explained by management. So one of the key arguments against uh, uh, real-world approaches is that it's um, subjective. So what we're proposing in terms of that is to uh, uh, provide additional guidance, uh, specifically uh, with relating to the, the setting of economic assumptions, and uh, as well as the risk discount rate. So we uh, provide additional guidance and disclosures, and also incorporate um, 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 uh, uh, embedded value calculations on a, a, a yield curve rather than a, a, a point, uh, a, a flat risk discount rate. And the second thing is um, to, to enhance the minimum just disclosures, uh, specifically with the um, modeling that analysts um, do uh, based on their own uh, economic theory or equity risk premiums um, um, uh, using the results uh, published by the various insurers. Um, so the key strengths, um, I think I've covered most, most of that. Um, it's easy to explain. Um, um, it's also aligned with the, the way that uh, non-covered business is typically uh, valued. Um, so I for S. Um, it, it, it allows companies to, to um, um, uh, it's also aligned with the, the products and um, uh, allows companies to actually uh, report results using their own internal uh, um, um, views uh, um, of, of the business. Uh, so aggregated um, and consolidated um, uh, by territory, by product type, by, um, uh, or by last, a legal entity. Um, so the key challenge, with, with three key challenges that we face is, is just the allowance for um, negative brand reserves. The key question is, uh, and th those are questions such, such as to what extent uh, would um, you have to write down the negative brand reserves. Um, and and um, is it, is, would it only be uh, to allow for the uh, acquisition cost component um, uh, to set off the new uh, uh, acquisition costs incurred on writing new policies? Um, then the, this, uh, um, the other challenge is actually to make sense of all of this within uh, the context of the new SAM reporting. Um, so I'm going to quickly skip through this summary. Uh, I think um, uh, the last thing I want to mention about this, uh, the, the, the first view and, and what we're su suggesting is that um, um, it's, it's, the, it's not, uh, the first view is not intended to be the only value, shareholder value metric. Um, we rec it recognizes that um, 
market consistent balance sheet reporting, as well as the same balance sheet um, provides um, valuable information to, to shareholders, but uh, um, depending on the purpose of, and the use thereof, um, it might not be the best way uh, to present the, the, uh, um, the performance of an insurance company. Thanks. Okay, thanks, Richard. Um, we are a little bit running out of time. I will do this as quickly as I can. Uh, we might eat into our lunch break a little bit, but we'll make that up after, after lunch. Um, this is the journey that I've been on understanding um, embedded values in a SAM world of the last year or so. And you end up potentially not being as far away from the approach Hurt was suggesting, which I think is good news. So first up seems like a great idea. You've got a market consistent valuation. Let's just use that exactly as it is. Then, with a bit more thought, you realize there are one or two adjustments that you need to think through. Then the adjustments get a bit harder, and you start to lose all hope and want to do something else. So let me take you on that journey uh, very, very quickly. So Sam Silvers to supposedly have a market-consistent valuation of assets and liabilities. The difference between assets and technical provisions, therefore, should be the market value of the business. Um, but of course, it's not really. Um, this is a diagram. Uh, which will kind of show how, and I'll get to in a moment why SAM doesn't really get you, get you there. This shows a SAM view, an MCEV view, and an EEV view. I will admit that I've cheated here. I've ignored some awkward things like tax and a little bit of discounting here and there. But this presents hopefully a useful framework. On SAM, we have the SAM own funds being the difference between assets and the technical provisions being the best estimate liabilities and the risk margin. On an MCEV world, we have the embedded value coincidentally the same size as the same amount of funds, equal to the assets, less the best estimate liabilities, less the corner and frictional costs that we had mentioned. And on a traditional embedded value, you also have the embedded value being the sum of the adjusted net worth and the VIF, all the free surplus, the required capital and the VIF, um, just with the same components. So on a consistent set of assumptions, particularly around things like market consistency versus the real world, each of these approaches should get us to the same place. Which again is encouraging because if it didn't, the number is probably wrong. Um, this is the expression that Chad had up for embedded value. I like to separate out free surplus and required capital. You can take that one step further and take the VIF apart and talk about the present value of future profits and the cost of required capital. But you can also flip that around, and this is something that came up in the LAC most recently. You could express it as a free surplus, the amount that we can give to shareholders now, immediately, not required and the present value of everything else, all the value that's going to arise in the future. And we'll come back to this, this representation in a moment, but this really does start to put the two approaches really very firmly together. I see you think David Jewell is here, and I want to mention free cash flow a good few times in, in the presentation, but this really, this is because the valuation should be focused, there you are David, should be focused on free cash flow to, to shareholders. Now, the better value from a market system perspective is represented like that, and on SAM, we're in a very, very similar perspective, so if we're in a world where the risk margin is similar to the corner and fictional cost, again, the number should be the same. So we can just use SAM as is. And in fact, if the present value of future profits is equal to the cost of required capital, this is the SAM world where the risk margin itself is nothing but the, the cost of capital, the cost of uncertainty that shareholders require for putting up the capital. If we did that in a traditional embedded value approach, we'd project those assets and liabilities the risk margin would emerge as future profits. That would be the present value of future profits. 
and though we'd also have a cost of required capital, we need to deduct off, those two items would be the same, and a better value would just be the adjusted net worth on the same basis. So, so far, looking pretty good and looking pretty comfortable. But there are some assets that are excluded from SAM-owned funds that we need to add back. Um, some certain types of intangibles, certain types mustn't be included, but certain types of intangibles could be included, and some of the other adjustments there might be appropriate, and those I think are fairly straightforward and well understood. But we might also want to take a value on, on business beyond the contract boundary that we've assumed for SAM, which may actually be similar contract boundary to IFRS, particularly on annual renewable group life business or zero contract boundary linked business, there is a lot of value that's traditionally been a part of embedded value, would be part of a transaction, would be part of performance measurements, but isn't factored into the SAM balance sheet. So we'd want to find a way to add that in and then a way to adjust for the cost of required capital on that business. We may not believe the SAM risk rate, and Ian, that's nothing against you. We may want to add on a different liquidity premium, or in fact, we may want to move to a real-world projected investment return basis at a risk discount rate. That would be another difference from a SAM balance sheet. We may not like the 6% cost of uh, capital rate from SAM. Typically, an MCEV has been more between 2.5% and 4% for the corner, and then additional costs for frictional costs. We may also not like the amount of capital that we're imposing a cost on under SAM being just the non-hedgeable SCR. So these are each pretty clear adjustments that I think people would want to make. Uh, there's a danger we move away from comparability, but I think a, a view certainly towards uh, a more accurate number. So adding things to own funds would actually increase the required capital piece. It obviously increases the adjusted net worth, but not the free surplus because we can't pay it out. So it would actually increase the required capital block. Placing additional value on a customer relationship or profits beyond the contract boundary would increase our present value future profits. If we, didn't, if we had a, a, a particularly a higher investment return assumption, that would emerge in future profits, future margins, which would be part of our present value of future profits. Choosing a different cost of capital rate most likely would reduce the SAM cost of capital until we start looking at fictional costs. But if we added in uh, costs or fictional costs on a larger amount of capital, we may well decrease our free surplus increase our required capital, and increase our cost of required capital. So these are how the components would be adjusted for these. So the, the, the approach I've been taking through at the moment is very much a balance sheet oriented, very much a direct market consistent approach. We start with SAM-owned funds, we uh, add on some excluded assets, we add on customer relationships, we make all these adjustments, and we end up with an embedded value, but a very different sort of structure from what we're used to. But you can get to the exact same answer in a very familiar world of embedded value or market participant embedded value with the same components. You still get your free surplus, your required capital, your PVFP, and your cost of required capital, but each of these items is slightly adjusted to be consistent with the items above. But importantly, if you put this into your embedded value model and you ran it and you projected it forward, you would have margins and being released which would give you your present value future profits. You have to calculate a cost of required capital based on your projection on capital and you would get two of these same numbers. So it isn't a fundamentally different approach, just a question of what is the, the right base. So I think that the customer relationship value is useful to understand separately from the rest of the business. In fact, I might even ask some questions, well, hang on, how confident are we that this value from a, a somewhat esoteric or, or, or ethereal uh, customer relationship is actually value that we can uh, uh, take, place, take value of? Do we want to use a different discount rate for that? So I think that's actually quite a useful piece to have separately. But interestingly, this would be similar under an IFRS approach. 
the impact of different risk rates, adding on illiquidity premiums, moving away from market consistent approach, uh, that would be pretty useful uh, given that one of the key criticisms of traditional value value EEV is the subjectivity and the capitalizing of future risk premiums. And then re-looking at cost of capital and the amount of capital and, and, and how we charge for that, I think would be, be pretty, pretty useful as well. It has caused some awkward questions amongst MCEV reporters, but I think given the, the progression of most large insurance groups towards MCEV, I think those are probably some good conversations to have. Okay, just to refresh, between an IFRS-based approach and a SAM-based approach, we've still got free surplus distributable immediately right up front, and free cash flow to shareholders, David, on the future. So we cannot get to a different result unless you made different assumptions, one's market distance, one's real world, or something's broken. So we aren't talking about a different number, we're talking about potentially different components. And here I kind of brought the two together. But another point that came up at the LAC is some of these components will feel very different from what we're used to. Under a SAM-based approach, we're gonna have a very large adjusted net worth, a very small, you can't even see, I couldn't fit a label in a very small blue VIF line, quite a higher cost of required capital. Whereas on an interest-based approach, we're probably a little bit more what we're used to, relatively small adjusted net worth, quite a big fat present value of future profits, relatively modest cost of required capital, and therefore a generous VIF. Now, I don't know whether there's a judgment call about which of these is better, but it will be a change from what we're used to. Uh, if we move to the free surplus now, value of capital future, it doesn't actually make any difference. If your business is focused on earnings and you want to tie the present value of future profits to the earnings that you're going to accrue every year, then having a PVFP that makes a lot of sense and is something you can understand and can talk to analysts about on IFS-based approach is really useful. And I'm completely in agreement about that. If you've got a required capital that is very closely linked to a SAM world, you measure and head your business on a, on a SAM or a best estimate world, then your required capital and projection of required capital is gonna be a lot more stable under a SAM-based approach, and arguably that makes more sense. So in the SAM-based approach, your, your VIF and your present value future profits is a bit of a plug with limited meaning. Under IFRS, your cost of required capital is maybe a bit of a plug with maybe more, more awkward meaning, but you've got a PVFP that has a lot of meaning. So yeah, if you are uh, looking at your required capital very closely linked to SAM, then I think there's a lot of arguments to use for a SAM base. If you are looking to move down the market consistent route, I think a SAM based approach is a better starting point, but you can do it on a railroad basis. And in fact, if you are gonna do it all market consistent, we can say goodbye to rebasing uh, in a large part, which will make the modeling a lot easier. Um, if you're trying to, to hedge on either an embedded value or a SAM base or try to bridge the gap between those two, having this link and understanding what the differences are in those components of value and how you'd hedge those components or not hedge those, I think could be useful. Um, and certainly in my experience, most economic capital that's been developed in the last few years has gone down the SAM substitute sort of track, which may have a closer link to a projection of required capital. Um, and I think it is a more direct descendant of current embedded value based on a regulatory approach but that's not the smallest font I could have found, but I think it is fair to say, for some insurers, actually moving to an IFRS-based approach will have uh, smaller changes for them. Um, additional reconciliations, adjustments, trying to work out how these new things translate to IFRS, that's gonna be a headache. Um, if you do manage your business on an IFRS earnings base, and that really is your key metric in how you manage your business internally, 
having to worry about this thing, which is a little bit different and has a PVFP that doesn't translate back to his earnings, won't be very helpful. Uh, the VIF could be negative. These components will feel quite different from what we're used to. Um, trying to talk to analysts about having this thing called a customer relationship and having value on it. There might be awkward questions there. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. And if we do end up on a real-world projection, we are still in the world of rebasing and a little bit of, of hassles there. I haven't had a picture in a while. So uh, the koala is asking the question, if we're most interested in free cash flow, and we've got the free surplus up front and the free cash, uh, the present value of future ca free cash, those two components should be the same under each approach. So as an alternative from left field suggestion, why don't we de-emphasize these individual components and actually look at cash available now, cash available in future. So it does simplify quite a few things. And that is my last slide. Uh, what we're trying very hard to avoid is a uh, problem of standards. XKCD is the, probably the coolest webcomic in the world. You should read it. And I'll let you read that as we head out for lunch. Um, questions and Morris' input and more discussion will happen after lunch. But enjoy lunch until then.